Hello and welcome to ClapperCast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and today I'm happy to be joined by Hilary White. Hello. And Nabil Zaman. Hi. For today's episode of ClapperCast, we're going to be looking at three recent releases that highlight women, both behind the camera and on screen, uh, from female directors making their feature debuts to films focusing on the female experience, specifically with pregnancy and the grief that can come afterwards. Uh, These are three films that champion women voices, like I said, both on and off screen, and we're going to be talking about them. And we might as well get this started with Netflix's Pieces of a Woman. Certain things medically we just don't have answers for. Very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Pieces of a Woman tells the story of a heartbreaking home birth that leaves a woman grappling with a profound emotional fallout, isolated from her partner and family by a chasm of grief. Nabil, you wrote the review for the website. Why don't you start us off with this one? So uh, when I first heard about Pieces of a Woman, I was very intrigued because uh, I've loved Vanessa Kirby ever since uh, I've seen her on screen. And so I was very excited to finally uh, see her in like a proper leading role. And um, so when I watched it, I had some, you know, I was confused the first time. I think that this film plays out better on a second watch than the first because, you know, some of the subject matter and everything is very hard to handle and it can be quite personal for some people. But I think that the performances are incredible and I really like what uh, the film does from that point of view. I don't think it's a perfect movie because, you know, the screenplay has some issues, but it's not as bad as like everyone as some people say. Uh, I I think that some of the visual stuff from the film, uh, you know, the way that they pull some of the things here and there and, you know, some of the metaphors they use are really beautiful. And I will also say that uh, the courtroom scene is better than anything in The Trial of Chicago 7. I'll just jump in next because I think that I'm going to have very similar opinions to you. I do find it funny now that every courtroom scene, it was the same thing with Small Axe. Now everyone just is like, oh, it's better than Trial of Chicago 7. Not that I, I fully agree with that statement, but I find it funny that that's now like the level of success we now qualify courtroom scenes of the year with. Um, I was genuinely quite stunned by this film. Uh, I think I might even be more positive than you were on it. I know Hillary has different opinions. I'm very, very excited to hear her thoughts. Um, I love this film. I think this film is emotionally just cap- just captivating, an emotional gut punch. The performances all around, I think, are stellar. Vanessa Kirby is great. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is great. And I do not say that with any intention to minimize anything that's come out about him recently. That deserves attention, uh, respect, consequence. Absolutely. This is in no way to be very clear. I think it's worthy saying Um not at all, you know, commentating on him as a person, but I think as an actor, this is one of his strongest roles. Um, and all around, I mean, I'm sure we're gonna get into it. The visual style you mentioned, it's not it's not the climb that still definitely wins as far as uh, single takes for the year. Um, but the single take that starts this film off, or at least is in the very beginning of the film is stunning. And from there on, I just think this was a film that emotionally hit me. Yes, it's a little uneven at places. I wouldn't quite say like a five-star film, 
Um, but I would say this is definitely one of my favorites of 2020. It would have been on my favorites of the year list if I watched it before I made that list. One of the you know sad points, Netflix, uh, give critics your films and then we can review them and watch them and put them on our best of the year list. Don't uh, not give it to critics. Uh, but Hillary, I'm very excited to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's certain things that I think all three of us can agree on. And I think particularly that first sequence, including the unbroken shot that depicts um, a home birth taking place, that just can't be disputed. And I think especially with the performances, they can't be disputed. I've seen Vanessa Kirby in several things. And uh, like Nabil said, she usually plays supporting roles and like real bit parts. Like uh, strangely enough, I realized that she was in Charlie Countryman with Shia LaBeouf like eight years ago or something like that. And I didn't even remember she was in it. Um, but she's, yeah, she's definitely put in her time. I think the thing that really stands out about that sequence in particular is that it felt really, really real. I have not been pregnant and I have not given birth, but I knew instinctually that everything I was watching was probably as real as it could get as far as like being, um, being a fiction and having to just act that stuff out. Technically it was pretty impressive as well. The rest of the film for me was an experience because it's in that subgenre of people who are experiencing trauma or they experience something that is very, very unpleasant or tragic. And then everyone behaves and reacts to it in the worst way possible. And I think that for me, personally, because I mean, you can't, a lot of times when you're watching something like this, you can't help but react personally to it because it's a very visceral, you know, like a gut punch. It's a gut punch of a film that depending on your own experiences, you'll process it differently. Things like Pieces of a Woman have happened to people I've known and it's happened in my family and no one reacted the way the characters did in this film. Um, for the sake of drama, there has to be conflict. And what happened, I felt like was conflict enough. Like, how do you go on after this? I felt like afterwards, everything got really compounded by just about everyone making the most damaging decisions possible. And although I, I can't dispute Kirby's performance in this, I just really, I just really felt like it was falling into this this particular place where it's just, you know, everyone is being awful, everyone's being terrible, everyone's breaking down, everyone is fighting, and uh, it just makes everything worse. So it was the story in particular, how the story was handled that I had issues with, but the way it was made, the way it was shot, um, and what everyone brought to the table was, I mean, definitely above par. Um, I think there's some people who are more forgettable than others, but it's, I think it's mainly, you know, LaBeouf, Kirby, and Ellen Burstyn, who plays her mother, that get center stage here. And they're skilled actors. They know what they're doing. I will say with uh, LaBeouf, though, that it was particularly really hard to watch this particular performance because he was playing what um, he has been accused of. So there's a lot of scenes with like him. I don't know, should we venture into spoiler territory? I think it would be okay. Okay. So I guess let's just give like a spoiler warning and then sure. Yeah, spoiler warning here. Um, 
that there's there's scenes of him like trying to force himself on uh, his partner. There's scenes of him being physically violent with his partner. There's scenes of him cheating, um, like uh, falling off the wagon with a sobriety. Um, even the scene with the dog was hard to watch because one of the allegations is that he has killed dogs. Um, so it really is probably not the, I can't think of like a more unfortunate role to come out after allegations like that because it's not like the peanut butter falcon or something like that where it's like, oh yeah, I know he did this thing but he's playing someone very different. Um, it's just him really at his worst as playing this character who's not handling things at all and um, making horrible decisions. So in a nutshell, I, that's my reaction to it, but I would love to discuss it with you more and how you guys process certain things because obviously we're all coming from different viewpoints. You know, I, I think just touching on the buff very quickly, I think it's almost haunting to think like how closely this character resembles what seems like him as a person is. And we've seen with LaBeouf, he's best when he's close to his real life. He was best in Honey Boy, deeply personal, deeply intimate. That was him. I think to a point, like as haunting as it is, what we're seeing on the screen is him. And I think larger than that, I agree with your point that it seems like it's capturing like a real humanity is a weird word because it is so negative and so awful so often but it's like the real I feel like there's a real human soul from that very first scene the immediate thing to stand out to me from that first scene was just how positive it was weirdly during this birth and Shia Buff is just there like you can see in his face he's so excited and he's so proud of his wife doing this and the wife is you know going through utter hell but you can tell she's doing it and Ava's there just trying her best like it's capturing real genuine emotion that feels authentic for better or for worse you know with you know but LaBeouf specifically but I think that's something that carries throughout the film is I feel like this is one of those films that transcends your playing characters like I don't look at Vanessa Kirby in this film and say oh there's Vanessa Kirby acting it feels like I'm just watching this character and that goes for pretty much everyone in the film I agree there are people who are rather forgettable compared to others but I think overall that's like one of the strongest points of this film is the acting I think that's what brings it to life because I think this film is alive. Uh, I've heard a lot of uh, people say that this film is very slow, and I do agree. The, the second half is very slow, but I think that uh, it asks you to be patient and really dive into the emotional core, which I surprisingly found really powerful, even though you know the subject matter is almost like too much to take in at some times. And um, just like you guys mentioned, I think the performances really elevate the film. And um, so, so I was only uh, like, I, I had my eyes on Vanessa Kirby and you know the lead actors. But I, so there's this scene where I think they're at their home having a party or something, I don't know. And there's a scene where uh, Vanessa and her mom played by Ellen are like fighting. And there's a monologue by Ellen about motherhood. And I thought that that monologue was like, my one of my biggest takeaways from the whole film because she is she starts off slowly but then you know her expressions start changing but you feel like she's the same person and she she's i mean there's just something so crazy about ellen Burstyn um giving monologues i don't know i would love to see her do more roles like this and she's pretty old but i mean i can definitely see her 
uh, getting a nomination for Best Supporting Actress, but even, even though uh, she did not have a lot of like importance other than like some scenes, but I mean, she really uh, stole the show in that one uh, scene where she's fighting. Oh yeah, that, that particular monologue. It's interesting because I saw it a totally different way because that was, there's so much that Vanessa Kirby's character is holding in through so much of the film. And I think it's a, very challenging for an actress to find different ways to hold that in and not be repetitive in every single scene. And that's the scene where she finally loses it. And she, you know, starts yelling at her mother, like, that's not what I want. That's what you want. And there's so much ferocity in that. And it's, there's something about mother daughter dynamics. And I want to be clear, <laughs> my relationship with my mother is nothing like what's depicted in the film, but I still understood how frustrating it was because it was a moment for her. And then her mother takes over and starts talking about the worst thing that happened to her, which is about a dying baby. And like that whole scene, uh, as wonderfully as it was performed and as harrowing as that story is, at the very end, you don't even see Kirby. And I think she says something like, just stop or something like that, because it does define their whole relationship. It doesn't matter what happened to her as a daughter or as an individual, it's still all about the mother's pain and how she's dealing with everything and how she's going about taking care of this problem, which is making somebody pay for it, uh, possibly going to prison for a very long time. When sometimes things that are horrible just happen, you know? So, I mean, as crazy as that scene is, because there's even more conflict leading up to that. And I've, as an aside, I found one of the funniest things is that one of the Safdie brothers, Ben, is in the film and he plays one of the most well-adjusted characters in the movie, um, which is humorous considering the kind of films he and his brother make. But there's just all these arguments and stuff like that. And it does culminate with that monologue, which I think will get her a nomination. But it was heartbreaking for me because I just didn't see Kirby anymore. She, I wanted more of that for her to just get it all out and I think eventually that pain, I think does get processed, but it said so much about the relationship where it's like, it's never really about her and never really about what she's going through. It's all about the mother trying to control things, not in a malicious way. I can't even really say a manipulative way, but taking precedence, everything is through her. And there's so many examples of that throughout the movie that we could talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it hard to I mean, argue against anything like you've said. I think the relationship between the mother is one of the most intriguing parts of the film. I mean, there's so many layers there. And as someone like, obviously, I cannot relate to the experience of a mother and daughter specifically around pregnancy and around birth, which is something so inherently important to some women, obviously these women, and you have that natural relationship. Like there's so many layers there I cannot, you know, I cannot relate to like just flat out. But I come from a place where like, I have a very dysfunctional mother in a very similar way where like communication, it's not malicious. I think that's like, I find that really like honestly powerful how you put that. It's not malicious. It truly isn't. It's just some people are like that where they just take and they have to make it about them and they have to, they have to do that. And it's so hard. I think that's one thing about the film 
is that it, it really doesn't villainize too many people. It doesn't, it, it doesn't take the easy route with the mothers that she would be this horrible woman. It, it, it asks for not maybe empathy, but it just shows that there is understanding there. And it builds these characters with an incredible amount of nuances. Everyone's just grieving and everyone's just trying to find the way to process their pain. And they just can't, there's no good way because ultimately nothing, you know, no, anyone could go to jail. Anyone could do anything, but that's not going to fix the right here. And I think it's incredibly hard. I think that's one reason so many people are struggling with the film is because it is a film about struggle. It's a film that says there's no like answer. Yes, the pain eventually gets processed, but it doesn't make that a clean transition. It doesn't make that necessarily even a satisfying transition. The very end is nice. The very like last scene is nice, but the rest of it getting there, it's not this glorified like Hollywood glamorous process. And I think that's really powerful. I do want to quickly mention as far as like, quote unquote, issues with the film. I think the film is fantastic. Um, I would have liked a little bit more with the character of Eva. I think she is a little bit underwritten here. I think that there's a lot of interesting like points you can make from her side of it, what she has to go through that doesn't fully get explained. I feel like her court case is a fact. It's an effective plot point, is an effective catalyst for this conversation. I think there is more to dive into here. This is one of the rare two-hour films that I feel like could probably be two hours and 20 minutes and really expand on her and get her side of things. I don't think it kills the film in any way, but just looking at like what I think is a little bit underwritten, I think she's the one area of the film where I think it probably could have done a little bit more, but that that's decently nitpicking, honestly. So, so um, uh, I, th I think you're right because uh, I was kind of hoping that Eva was, uh, was gonna like deliver a speech or something after Vanessa, you know, gives her, gives her, she, she has her thing at the courthouse. Uh, so I kind of wanted to, uh, wanted her to, you know, uh, tell her story or, you know, share her thoughts because, because I agree that her uh, role is very, um, it's not developed and like we only see her in the first 30 minutes and then we see her in the end. She's just sitting and she, she, so I kind of wanted uh, her to, you know, share her thoughts and because we know that she's also very anxious and scared of like what's going to happen so I kind of wanted to you know more about her like what what she does or like what she, how what her thoughts on you know the whole case were so um yeah I, I think I would have loved if some of the uh, other characters would have been more uh developed and uh, yeah yeah as a character she doesn't she doesn't speak very much she's not able to speak for herself it is interesting because molly parker is playing her and while i was watching the film i thought if molly parker if they'd made this movie 20 years ago or something like that molly parker would have done an amazing performance as the lead and uh, she's often underused in films that she's in. And this is no exception because I mean, basically it's not really about Ava, but I was surprised that she's not in the film for such a long time. I thought maybe they're never going to um, finish. There's never gonna be another scene with her. There's not gonna be any closure about her. I mean, as far as I knew, it might be that it's just not about the trial at all. And it, we don't go there or, or anything, but I felt horrible for her and I even felt horrible for her in the wake of the conclusion of the movie because in a way she was a pawn. What happens at the beginning 
and I don't know, maybe we could get into this because I'm sure that people have discussed this is that she didn't really do anything wrong that um, endangered the birth. She did the best she could. And she was kind of just being punished because of this family drama and the way that they handle things. She had to go to trial. She had to probably be in jail for a while, um, probably lost her midwife license. Um, financially, she's probably a wreck. All of these things happened to her and we don't really see any of that from her point of view or within her story. So it, it, sometimes I was wondering what a film from her point of view would have been like if the narratives had diverged and there were two films, you know, kind of like the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, but that's not the, that's not the case here. So I, I ended up feeling really bad for her. And I think in some ways it made me like the characters in the film less, I think even particularly the mother, even though once again, it goes back to not being malicious, it's reacting from pain, but you can't really, with that particular situation, you can't fix it. I think that the mom just wants to fix things. And the way she deals with it is, you know, that this person's gonna go to jail for a long time. And I think there's several characters who reassure Vanessa Kirby's character. It's like, don't worry, she'll be put away. And it's just like, for what and why? It doesn't really matter. It's not gonna make anything hurt less. So the fact that she, I mean, once again, heading to spoiler territory, the fact that things do turn out okay in the end. Although I think I made a note said like, we don't really see how things end. We don't see a verdict or anything because it's about what's going on with the family. So we actually don't know what happens to her. And it made me, yeah, it made me feel really bad for her because especially from the first sequence, I doesn't she's not I don't know she's not an asshole she seems to do everything she possibly can she's aware that something is wrong quite early and eventually gets to that yeah. that bit of information that comes out during the trial where it becomes very ambiguous about who is responsible where but in my opinion I don't think anyone was responsible for what happened things just turned out that way yeah I agree I think on that note, one of the more interesting conversations, I don't know about in, uh, interesting is probably the wrong word, but one conversation that stuck out to me was they kind of touch on the idea of like the morality from the parents' perspective. They chose to do a home birth, not at the hospital. I think that's a conversation that's decently underwritten. Um, as someone who is just took a child development class and had a whole, like a lot of conversation around, you know, the two, you know, why some people prefer home birth, why some people perform uh, prefer uh, hospital birth. I think that's one thing where they start to question the parents. And I I feel like it gets a little bit maybe too judgmental in the reality of it and why people do it. And oh, like pushing a little bit too hard. and like, oh, it probably should have been a hospital birth. I think that's an interesting conversation. But then also Eva, like that's her job. She is signing off on it. It's a good idea. Like it, 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 it's, it's complex, right? Like as, as I've mentioned before, not to like sound like a broken record here, it's complex. And the more you think about it, you can just go in circles of who's right or who's wrong, which is also, I guess, like the point, and that is the conversation of the film, right? Like, yeah. But there is, like, I, it's not discussed very much, but I do remember there's a scene where uh, Shia LaBeouf's character is looking at some articles on his iPad, and it's about how this midwife is being prosecuted for a failed home birth. I don't know if failed is the right word. And they say that the medical profession, the what most people think is the legitimate 
medical profession is to blame, but they want to phase that out probably for financial reasons. So there's subtle things that kind of like, yeah, that like you said, it make it a complex issue. There seems to be little bits and pieces there about going one way or going the other. Um, uh, I'd say that personally, I haven't really thought much about whether which one I, which situation I think is safer or, or, or better. I think that it just depends on what the parents particularly want. And one thing that I could post to both of you guys is if this had happened at a hospital, would it have made any difference? Some, I mean, my, my father's a doctor and this has happened to him. He says that there's sometimes where he's delivered babies where they were, they were dead. They, and there was nothing that could be done. And he had to like, you know, tell them like what had happened. So it's not that hospital births are necessarily safer. Um, in every case, it does make me wonder about this particular incident. Would it have made any, um, any difference if they were in a hospital or not? Especially because they were like, well, we have to get her to the hospital and the ambulance is already on its way. There's just so many things that happen in that scene where it's just like, it's really, it, it's just something that happened <laughs> and then no one could handle it because it was horrible. But um, I mean, yeah, I think that's all I can add to that. Even expanding on that point, I wonder how the grieving process would be different if it was in a hospital. Because obviously the lawsuit wouldn't be as big of a thing as it is. Like, I feel like that would have changed a large like dynamic of the situation. So just like in the ulterior universe, I, it's just, it's a very curious mind exercise i could see the mom still suing that her the grandmother still suing the hospital yeah i could i could see that it would be harder because it'd be going up against people who are already really they're already defended by lawyers and have um they might have signed some things that would make it so that isn't a possibility but i could see her still doing that if she could just to blame somebody yeah nabil do you have any last thoughts on uh pieces of a woman yeah, so uh, there's a scene somewhere in the middle where uh, Vanessa just goes, like, she goes to a bar and she's just dancing. And I just thought it, that scene was so, uh, so soothing in, like, a weird way. Because it's this one scene in the film where she's just truly happy. It feels like she's just letting it all out. And there's this song playing. And then, like, there's this random guy coming over. But it, you can see that she's finally uh for like a minute she she's just happy and she wants to like let it all out and i just think that that scene was very uh very important for me for like in a way so uh and and and, and i haven't really uh seen a lot of people talking about it so i just wanted to mention that uh and about the ending again i'm gonna like add a uh, spoiler i was very uh disappointed to see how shia's character like he he as a husband, I expected him to, you know, support his wife and like help her and everything. But he just like he just leaves in the end. Like they have a fight and then he just, he's just gone. I mean, it's just very shocking to see that something that's happened to this couple and then they just like it's just over. Their their marriage is over right after this. And I expected something to be like the ending that like they're gonna get together or something or maybe. It's going to be like, if, even though it is a happy ending, but I mean, the husband's not there anymore. And in the end, when we see her 
with a child. We don't know whose who's child that visit. That's again, something that was left to our uh, understanding. So, uh, yeah. I, I have to add that one of the things in the film, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't just leave. It's implied, I mean, he's paid off by her. Her mother controls everything. It's really, it's really dysfunctional. Um, and then the fact that it's, it's, it's probably, oh, there could be drama down the road in their relationship because I think she doesn't know her mother did that. And that also like, it says a lot about him because he took the money eventually. Okay. So it's, yeah, there's just so many things in this film that the more, the more I think about it, the more it's like, okay, that's what happened. But it's, their relationships are really disturbing. They're very tenuous. And maybe in the wake of 2020, that does kind of slot into our, our own lives. A lot of relationships didn't make it because there was um, extenuating circumstances that couldn't be helped. Mm -hmm. Whether it is just as simple as I'm living with you all the time and I can't take it anymore to very serious stuff that um, I won't go into because I don't want to conjecture about other people's lives. But one thing I did think about quite often during the film is if the baby had lived, what, like, how would he have been as a husband and a father? Like, would he, I think that he, things would have been fine for, I mean, a very long time. Maybe they would have broken up down the line anyway, but not like they did in the film. And I mean, we see that there's dysfunction between him and the mother already when she buys the van and they have that argue. Like, we see that oh, there's God. already arguments and dysfunction. So it probably yeah. would go down. Of, I don't know if it would break up, but like, it would be argue. I guarantee you there'd be like a screaming match at a Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there, there definitely would. And the scenes with uh, LaBeouf and Burston, once again, it's, it's really strange to comment on that because I... I don't, I'm, I'm not in either of their shoes and I don't have a relationship like that, but it's so, it's funny to see how much registers on his face because of like the passive aggressive things and the way she puts him down and the way she just puts down everything. So like subconsciously or unconsciously, it's just like, like him just driving the van being like, this is my mother-in-law, I have to love her. I really don't want to lose my shit right now. This is just, I, I, I just, you could tell he's already hitting his limit. And for a lot of people, their in-laws are like that. It's something that comes with the relationship and you just have to deal with it um, in some cases. But their dynamic was interesting because she's trying to control him and she's trying to do all these things. And eventually she wins in a bizarre way. And uh, I think, the only thing, I think the last thing I want to bring up is the ending. I did find it, I thought like the whole um, kind of, I can't think of the word, I guess we'll just cut this out, but it keeps returning to apples, you know, that kind of thing. And then the scene with the seeds at the end. But when the final sequence is shown, I was like, I think they're implying that it's, or like some people might be like, oh my God, the apples grew, apple seeds grew into a tree and it's later and stuff like that. And I was like, that tree is like 50 years old, maybe a hundred years old or something. And um, 
that just made me it deflated the last scene for me because it's like that's not what happened but I bet a lot of people are just like oh my god and it's just like yeah the kid's like five years old or something maybe five to seven and it's just like that's that's not the tree that is so, the funniest take I've, thing I've ever heard about any film maybe ever <laughs> well I'm sure there are some people out there who might think that that tree was grown from what she had in her fridge I mean it's definitely and, connected but like yeah. like thematically but yeah probably not biologically no, literally. but I felt like oh my god there's probably people who think that that's oh there probably is <laughs> oh that's yes. what you just made my day that is so wow. funny huh it's not it's not just you know if you were listening to this and you thought that I hate to burst your bubble yes and uh it, that's not it's not a fridge tree it's it's a tree that just happens to have apples on it so enjoy it for what it is <laughs> Huh. Well, well, on that truly fantastic, not, not to offend any listeners who thought that, but like that I, I'm laughing legitimately. Um, let's switch from Netflix over to Amazon uh, and let's start with herself. The first of two Amazon projects we're talking about today. What can I do for you? I want to build a house. These are some of the vacant sites that you have. You see, if you lend me the money and let me use a site, then I could have that built for me and my kids. I'm really sorry. I can't help you with this. Struggling to provide her daughters with a safe, happy home, Sandra decides to build one from scratch. Using all of her passion to make her ambitious dream a reality, Sandra draws together a community to land to lend a helping hand to build her house and ultimately recover her own sense of self. Boy, cannot speak today, which is good because we're doing a podcast. Um, herself, I'll start off because I did the review of, for the website on this one. Uh, I quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's... Um, not, I wouldn't say as good as Pieces of a Woman, but I still quite enjoyed this one. Um, I thought this was a pretty haunting, not just capturing of the lasting effects of abuse and the skeletons of the closet and how trauma can come back to haunt you even years later um, in really passionate and like subtle ways that you wouldn't normally get out of Hollywood films. But more importantly, this feels like a love letter to love itself and the importance of community and just having people there to get you up in the morning and help you out and give you passion, give you purpose. Um, it is equally a haunting film, but also just a completely joyful one as Sandra slowly finds this community um, and has to rise up against all odds. And she really doesn't have the option to back down as a mother. She has to be there for her daughter. She has to provide, not just in the legal sense, because she has to look good for the court for the majority of the film. And she has a lot of pressure there, but also just as a mother, she can't just lay down and not give her children a future. She has to fight with her trauma. I found that to be quite compelling. I think Claire Dunn is fantastic here. I think she is really, really wonderful. Um, I, 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 again, I don't think it quite reaches the depths of pieces of a woman. There's definitely a lack of, I would say, nuance here with a lot of the conversation. I still found this one pretty effective though. One of the things that struck me was how much there was an overlap between pieces of a woman and herself in her own way, because they're both dealing with women, they're both dealing with motherhood in different in different ways. And they're also dealing with trauma and in some ways abuse at home. Uh, there is a, I'd say there's a gulf of difference between the tones that the film, those two films are trying to put across. I think pieces of a woman is definitely a straight up drama, a little bit art house. And herself is more of um, the tone it's going for, like Carson said, I think is, you know, kind of more 
uplifting and um, encouraging as far as, you know, ideas about having a community and stuff like that. But nevertheless, um, it was, there was things about it from the very beginning that I had a hard time with. Uh, but before I get into that, um, I do have to say that the two female leads, you know, Harriet Walter, and it's Claire Dunn, right, Kirsten? Yeah, Claire yes, Dunn. Yes. Claire Dunn, yes. Uh, the two leads, Claire Dunn and Harriet Walker, are um, both formidable actresses. And I looked a little bit into the director, and they have appeared together in kind of uh, modernized Shakespeare adaptations, which I can't Fine, but I'm very interested in seeing where it's like gender swapped and the performances in that I'm assuming from what I read are like would totally blow herself out of the water. Um, but although there's a lot of focus on uh, the main character, one of the things I had issues with was that I couldn't quite figure out the motivations of the people who are helping her because they all decide to help her rather spontaneously and there isn't really any deep exploration of what their motives are or why they would be doing all of this for free. So it's a very optimistic film in a way, but at the same time I thought, oh, oh no, like in some ways it's kind of merging on like a TV movie or um, something you see on Lifetime about, you know, very often it's about, you know, an, maybe an abused woman and, you know, the community comes and helps her and everything's happy in the end. That's not quite what herself is, but there are shades of that where I thought, oh, I don't know anyone's motivations that are sometimes, and sometimes there was conflicts that were resolved very quickly, sometimes within the scene where I thought, oh, like this might be a problem and then it goes away. Um, and I had a hard time with, I think like, what I think one of like the third act beats was she gets really angry about something that doesn't ha have to do with anything and she takes it out on everyone who's been helping her and I thought why is this happening and it's and then they're all like fine with it or cool with it and I was just like why how you know it brought, like prompted a lot of um it prompted a lot of questions and so it was one of those movies from where I, where I thought uh, th things are just kind of happening because it's a movie and so they have to happen. Um, it's not as character driven as it is plot driven. But I also want to point out that it had one of the, a scene where I enjoyed it a little bit too much, which is the introduction of the Cunliffe Hill character, who was one of the main reasons I was intrigued seeing this because he doesn't show up in a lot of things. And it was the scene where she goes to the home improvement place for the first time and she's being dismissed because she doesn't quite know what she's talking about. And the guy's like, you're a noob and also you're a woman. And he keeps kind of beckoning to the, he's like, I'm gonna help the guy behind you. And it's Conleth Hill. And he's like, how about you show some respect to this woman? You know, she's a customer too. And uh, I found that really amusing and funny because only he could deliver the lines and do it in that specific way to make it just hilarious. Um, so overall, it was kind of a mixed bag. I wouldn't say it's a bad film. I wouldn't say don't watch it. Um, but it is one of those films where you kind of, you kind of know where it's going. I don't want to spoil the ending because the ending is just, it takes kind of, a, it takes kind of a hard left a little bit. Um, but it's not, its intention is not to wallow in tragedy or anything like that. Um, it's about surviving. And I really respect that. 
so so I um, I heard a lot of people watching this movie at festivals last year and at first I I really wanted to watch it at that time but I mean I, I checked it out once it was on Amazon Prime and I didn't like it but I think that uh, I had some problems with the script because I, I it felt like uh, it was conveying everything in like a matter of fact and somewhat emotionally uh, manipulative way. And there, there was more depth given to certain elements than the others. And uh, so like unsurprisingly, the former ones uh, were the ones that like worked the most in the end. And the film kind of like tries to balance everything at, at, at one time but it uh, kind of does not uh, succeed in that fully. And, but, but I have to agree that it is very moving because uh, as you guys mentioned, the performances are really good. Um, Claire Dunn is really, uh, she's really good in this. And uh, one thing that some people have been mentioning, I really liked uh, uh, the, the, the girls who play uh, her daughters. All, all the child actors were really nice. I mean, I was just, because because the movie can be hard to watch at sometimes like in the beginning and some somewhere in the middle but all the um, all all the, all the girls and all her daughters just make it so uh, adorable and I really like that I, I I thought that um everyone was really perfectly casted in their roles and uh, other than that I thought it was very cute about what uh, the mom told her kids about the birthmark under her eye, if you guys remember that scene, where she says that God had her in his pocket when they were in his uh, art shop. So like dialogues like this between the mother and the, the daughters were really nice. And I also really liked how this film was about, you know, helping others and about like the community in general. I, I did not expect so many people to, you know, like come and help her, like Hillary mentioned, I, because if uh, we would have looked at this from a country's point of view, every country has, you know, different types of people. And I, speaking from uh, the perspective of, you know, people around me, I did not expect so many people to, you know, like help her in this situation. So that was really nice to see. And I thought it was a very, uh, a very a good, you know, portrayal of a woman who is helpless in one situation and then everyone comes to help her. And then, you know, it's just a combined effort by everyone. And so overall, I liked the film, but I just thought that it wasn't, you know, exactly a masterpiece. So I, I would definitely recommend it to everyone, but I wouldn't really say that it was, you know, like a five-star film, maybe like a 3.5 or a four. Yeah, coming from my perspective as someone who lives in America, uh, certainly would not be getting that support from people here. Uh, they would probably just like sue her and take the land if they could. Um, I think you two have pretty much nailed like this on that. I think you've like got it. Um, this is coming from the same director as Mamma Mia. So like the fact that it's not this really like in like captivating, like 
not captivating, but really skilled and crafted drama like Pieces of a Woman really, I, I think, should be expected. Um, this is much more of it feels like it's not Hollywood, um, but it feels like a very Hollywood film. Like this feels much safer. You have much cleaner. Yes, there's still a lot of trauma on display. This is not all like a peaceful, easy, you know, everything's great film very very painful a lot of the time um but this one definitely relishes and definitely accepts a lot more of the positives and a lot more of the uplifting moments than pieces of a woman i do think it is intriguing seeing pieces of a woman and herself so close to each other and talking about them because there are two films that both complement and i think also kind of hurt each other mostly pieces of a woman hurting herself um in some ways i think most of the depth found I mean the trauma in both films are very very different to be clear um I I, I think it's still powerful but yeah it doesn't reach the levels of pieces of a woman I, but I find it kind of hard to even like add too much more on because I think you two have really hit it like hit this out of the ballpark I will say there are some turns towards the third act I thought was very unexpected that I really, really liked. This is a film that's not afraid, even though it does play it safe for a lot of the time, it seems with a lot of the uplifting moments. This is not a film that is afraid to take some risks when it comes to kind of destroying the audience at times. It's also very careful and very quick to, you know, move on and focus on the positives again. Um, but I do appreciate that this film, it doesn't feel safe per se. It feels like glamorized at times, but it doesn't feel safe, which I appreciate. Um, I, I, I agree very much with Nabil. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Like, it's good. I think this is a success, not a masterpiece. I wouldn't say this is one. Like, I think Pieces of a Woman, go see immediately. This one, you know, if you're looking for something to watch, I would recommend it. But I wouldn't say, like, you need to watch this. Yeah. I think that you, I'd say that I'm probably in the same camp as far as uh, the urgency to see it. I think it would be something I'd recommend to somebody who likes drama, but doesn't like to see stuff that is too um, incredibly upsetting. I don't mean this as an insult or anything, but I could see myself recommending it to like uh, my mother or my aunt, not to say that this is for older audiences, but just because I know those women um, personally, and they're kind of at the point in their lives and in their situation where it's like, you know, I want to watch something that um, that has reality in it, but I don't want it to, I, like, I don't want to see people being too incredibly crushed and sad or um, have too much tragedy uh, permeate the room when I'm watching it. Um, I think especially um, in the wake of last year, but overall, it's, it is about community and it is about um, people making a collective effort for someone's dream to come true. But overall, I think, I think the film would have worked better if there was more of an investigation about these people, like her, her barmaid, uh, her, uh, workmate at the bar or the guy from Norway who makes her the table, uh, even more about where Conleth Hill is coming from and his son, even the woman who gives her the land, the Harriet Walter character, we kind of know what her motivation is because she had um, her mother uh, work for her for so long. But I kept kind of wondering if there was more to it than that, almost to the point where I was wondering if maybe like her and her mother had a relationship, like a romantic relationship. And I thought that would explain things a lot more and also like why she kept her on when she was um, an alcoholic. Yeah, Harriet Walter's daughter, 
at one point shows up and it seems like she might be an antagonist. And then the next time we see her in a scene, she's totally cool with what's happening and doesn't have much dialogue. There's a lot of things like that where it could have been a really rich character piece and that's what I'm kind of a sucker for. So that's, that's just a personal preference. Um, so I see so much potential there. There could have been a lot of depth. I think a lot less stuff with her husband who seemed kind of like a stock character. He was just kind of a nightmare. Um, and it, yeah, once again, it kind of does contrast with pieces of a woman where you see the LaBeouf character doing certain things where you're just like, what are you doing? Or like, why are you doing this? Uh, but you also know from scenes where he's alone, I think particularly because he's a man, he feels like he can't show his emotions. He goes off somewhere and he just is falling apart and suffering just as much as everyone else. But, you know, dealing with it in a very um, toxic way. Whereas the, this husband character is just kind of just a monster. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what he is. There's not much else to say about him. He's so obviously a bad guy that it's frustrating throughout the film where it's just like, how can, like, how is this, how is he getting away with it? Why does he even have a chance or anything? But um, there needs to be conflict in the film. There needs to be uncertainty in the film. And fortunately, I think, especially the lead really, really brings it as far as, you know, making that real and making it urgent. So I, 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 I can't remember what I rated it out of five stars because I think all of us use Letterboxd, but um, it's a, in some ways it's a safe movie, in some ways it isn't. It's a really weird blend. I think it's it plays weirdly well. Just thinking like you mentioned, like recommending this after this year and how it's a little bit more digestible. That's nice. It's a film that plays weirdly well, like in this time of COVID, not just as a sense of community, like seeing people in a backyard crack open beers and laugh, like have such an emotional weight to it. And it feels so refreshing when it seems like it should just be a normal scene. But also the film has this kind of backbone where it kind of shows like the failure of the government to help those who need help. And I think in this time of COVID, especially you know, here in America, we're, you know, arguing about stimulus checks every week. People, you know, are losing their jobs left and right. It's a really financially challenging time for a lot of people. I think there's this weird, that's not, you know, the conversation is obviously not about global pandemic. It's a different situation. But I think there is an interesting conversation to be found there within the film. It's never like the thesis, to be clear, but like it is definitely there. So I think this is a film that plays weirdly well in the time of COVID. I, yeah, you just mentioning that makes me wonder what the film would have been like if Ken Loach did it or Mike Lee or something like that. Oh, if Ken Loach did it, it would have been a masterpiece. It would have been very, there would have been a lot of social commentary. There would have been a lot more um, that would have been explored in a completely different way. Uh, I feel like there might have been uh, additional scenes filmed that did not make it to uh, the final cut, but should have because uh, like Hillary mentioned, I think there were some things that just kept happening and I couldn't really put my finger on it. Like, like it just happened. Like some characters are just coming and they're, they, they, they feel like they're the bad guys, but they, but in the end you just feel, uh, you just see that they're, you know, laughing and helping. So, I mean, it just kind of confused me. And uh, also I thought that the flashback editing was at first I felt like it was necessary, but there was a time when it kind of, 
started distracting me from you know the film and it was it was kind of unneeded in my opinion because uh, Claire Dunn already had um, uh, she was already doing a great job physically you know uh, embodying the emotions that you know arise from uh, when her character uh, encounters like her abuser so uh, I mean these are some of the things that I had a problem with but I wouldn't want to uh, go into detail because overall I think this is a very important and impactful story in many ways because it's filled with uh, it's, it's filled with personal statements and social statements and political statements and so because of that I think it's definitely something everyone should watch at least once. On that note, let's switch from a focus of women being on screen to behind the camera with Regina King's largely directorial coming out party. It's not her feature uh, directorial debut like everyone seems to think it is, but it is uh, her first like major directorial feature. Let's talk about One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, hey, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, shut thing, brother. In the aftermath of Cassius Clay's defeat of Sonny Liston in 1964, the boxer meets with Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown to change the course of history in the segregated South. Uh, Hillary, why don't you start us off with this one? What were your thoughts on One Night in Miami? Well, it's definitely a change up from the first two films that we talked about, uh, very much so because it's, although it's directed by a woman, it centers on four men. It's a period piece and uh, it's, speculative historical fiction about four very real people, which in some ways makes the film very interesting, but at the same time, kind of uncomfortable because it's based on a stage play. And actually, before I get into it, I wanna kind of bring in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because they were both stage plays that were adapted and um, released on streaming services. And there was different techniques put in to kind of open up the play because the play probably just took place in a hotel room with One Night in Miami and in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, probably just the studio. You had to find reasons to kind of open things up and move characters around. So there's similarities. And I was trying to put my finger on like, why am I so uncomfortable with some of the things that are happening in One Night in Miami compared to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? And I think it's because although there are historical figures in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we kind of know it's a fiction. It's like this, like this didn't happen. And um, it just happens to have people we know. Kind of like when you're watching a fictional film, like the Queen of England shows up and it's like, oh yeah, she she was in charge at the time, but it's not something that you, um, it doesn't cut too close to reality. It's uh, more of a fable, uh, but this is not a fable. It's something that actually happened, but no one really knows what these men discussed that evening, although there was definite historical events that may have been influenced by the four of them talking to each other. It's just as fascinating as it was, 
a lot of what they're talking about are political arguments and interpersonal issues that I thought, I don't, I don't know. It's like you're putting words in people's mouths who are, who are actual people. And then also one of them is still alive. Jim Brown is still around. So he actually knows what happened that night. And I thought, I wonder what he would say if he saw this. He's like, well, I mean, inevitably be like, it didn't happen like that. But you have these four really great actors. Some of them I've seen before, some of them I've never seen before. And they're all taking on huge characters, particularly Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. To take on Malcolm X after Denzel Washington's performance of him in the 90s has gotta be intimidating for anybody. And I think in spite of all, all the actors did a really good job um, without mimicking too closely the people that they were playing. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of stuff in here. There's so many arguments and uh, infighting and disagreements and reconciliation and storytelling that makes the film really, really great. I do have to say that I, I am tickled that Regina King is directing it because it's just one of those films, it's like it's about four dudes. And just because of the way the system is, they'd be like, oh yeah, we'll get a guy to direct this. And I just think it's such a strange reversal where it's like, oh, a woman is directing these four men, historical men, men who are a really big deal in their respective fields. And she's doing it. And uh, she did a fantastic job with the material. So overall, I do give her kudos. I think it's just, um, I almost, I'd be more intrigued with like some sort of like, drama documentary or a documentary about what might have happened that night but I did dig into it a little bit and there's just no information at all about what they talked about so it's all the screenwriter and the playwright's imagination. Uh, when I found out that uh, Regina King was directing this I was very excited because uh, she won an Oscar uh, two years ago right and I was you know I was like okay let's see what she has to do now and I ended up liking the film because um, I appreciated how it doesn't really uh, break the laws of, you know, cinema in general. It's straightforward, it's informative, and we see these four uh, political figures uh, who are put into one place together and like onto one level. And uh, they question their own ideologies as they clash with one another at a time in history where their voices would have been better united than, uh, you know, separate. I, I felt like it was, a, um, it was a coincidence that four important people were brought together, even though it was just one night, but it's just so fascinating how everything just happens over the course of, you know, one evening and it just wraps up in quite a surprising way. And I think that the, the four leads, as you guys mentioned, are great. I cannot decide who I like more than the other because each one of them had equally, you know, impressive performances. And for, you know, the awards, I would say, I, I really don't know who should be nominated because all of them were great. And uh, with a screenplay that, you know, puts together such iconic figures, I think that each of the each 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 of the leads had very 
charming and inspiring personalities. And for someone who does not know about them in real life, which is quite obvious, some people would have gone into the film without any knowledge uh, of like who these people are. I, I, I think that the movie does a, a great job of, you know, giving a short introduction of who these people are and what they, what they wanted to do in life. Uh, and like introducing each of these people in their everyday uh, locations and the struggles that they faced in being black sets the film up for a rather uh, a powerful storyline where they can you know discuss their positions of success to be heard uh, in a civil rights movement and so I I really appreciated the film for what it uh, wanted to uh, show, and I think it did end. It, it ended up uh, wrapping things in a really nice way, but uh, I, I just don't know why I did not give this film more than four stars. I just couldn't because maybe because when I was watching it, so I watched this at a festival, and my link was not working. I had to wait uh, till like in the morning and that was when I finally watched it. It had like a, a two hour window so I had like rush and you know I was like tired and everything. So I, I couldn't really like pay attention. I wanted to watch it on the television but I couldn't. So maybe that was one of the reasons why I, I didn't have that sort of experience that you would have had if you were watching it in a theater. But um, again that's not a very important thing. So I think it was a very a, a great movie from uh, Regina King and um, yeah, that's that's it. I feel that Nabil, that's one thing I learned during this like online festival season, like. In-person festival, midnight midnight screening. Sure, you're in a theater, really easy, just get lost in a film. Uh, at home, watching on my tiny laptop, not not so much. Um, this is a film I was genuinely quite stunned by. I weirdly, this is one of those films, I have you know, no reason to think it would be bad, but it's just one of those films that didn't necessarily strike my interest. It wasn't something I was necessarily like, oh, I'm super anticipated for. Um, and I loved it. I find, not to rehash the conversation of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom I had, last week, two weeks ago, time is relevant, um, whenever we talked about it on the podcast. But there's really two ways that you can do play adaptations. You can either try to transform it into the cinematic realm, or you can double down and really embrace the original identity. This is a film that wears its you know, identity on its sleeve as a play, uh, from the lack of locations to specifically the screenplay with the character dynamics and the flow of dialogue. It is very snappy, very play-like, which a lot of times feels really distracting, but I think this film pulls it off wonderfully. Um, I think this is like, everyone says, oh, it's a really well-directed film from Adriana King. I, I think this is fucking incredible. This is such a challenging film to put and direct and hold these iconic characters for legendary iconic people with these larger than life performances, very charismatic, very personal performances. And then you have to balance the dynamics of this being from a play and trying to keep it to where it kind of feels like a play. Regina King has put so much on her plate with this film and she nails it as one of this like very early directorial outing. Like this is something skilled directors often fail to do, but Regina King just succeeds completely. 
Um, I do think the social commentary is impactful. I think the film does slow down and it kind of loses focus partway through to a point. I still think the cinematography is gorgeous. And like you said, the acting is stunning. Um, I know Kingsley Ben-Eldir and Leslie Odom Jr. has got a lot of the awards attention. It was actually Eli Gore who stuck out to me as being my MVP. He is so charismatic and just so like perfectly over the top as Muhammad Ali, but like in a way to where you can still kind of get like understand him and still feel like that emotion. Um, but the actual just, again, I think a lot of it comes down to the screenplay, the dynamics between these characters and the conversation they have and, you know, their warring ideals and warring just personalities and souls to a point, um, but also to a point where they're never like full on fighting, you know, it's just this very kind of casual, fun, friendly debate, like, it really worked for me, I wouldn't say this film like touched me in the deeply emotional sense, like pieces of a woman, that was a film that like haunted me. This is not a film that haunted me, I, you know, I, I, it, it, but as a film, really, really worked for me. Yeah, it's, it's definitely solid. And uh, it's not her debut, like you said, but in order to take on this kind of material, I mean, I definitely would not want to be in her shoes. Like you said, you are dealing with larger than life people who have huge, <laughs> huge fan bases. Um, you know, they're historical figures, all that sort of stuff. I went to knowing who the three of them were. I didn't know much about Jim Brown. And it was funny because in my case, uh, Aldous Hodge who plays him, he was the actor I was most familiar with. Um, whereas the, the other three, I think um, one of my hadn't seen him in anything before. The guy who played Muhammad Ali and never, um, yeah, never caught anything. So that was a good place to start because he did a really good job without yeah, without parroting what Muhammad Ali sounds like, like a lot of people can do uh, an impression or something like that. And maybe it's the same with Malcolm X. Um, but at the same time, it was, um, there, there was moments in the film that I found really special. I think one in particular was the sequence where Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X do, um, they, um, they recite a Muslim prayer together. And I'm not sure I was thinking about, it. it's like, is this the first time I've seen a Muslim prayer in its entirety um, in a film? Cause it seems like something I should have seen by now. Kind of like uh, the first time I saw Jesus not played by a white guy was like two years ago. And I was like, finally, like I was conscious of that. But in this one, I, in this particular film, I thought, I don't think I've seen that happen before. But then again, I don't know a lot about the Muslim faith. So maybe I, what I saw was completely shortened or truncated or, you know, not accurate at all. Um, there, was, there was details in it um, that were anachronistic that I think, cause like the movie ends particularly with Sam Cooke performing Change. Change came out before this happened. So he was already doing, um, integrating civil rights into his music career, but it needs to be in the film. So there is some conflict between him and Malcolm X because that's, I think that argument that they have is the crux of the film. And uh, I think the other thing that I, I want to hear you guys' opinion on this, because maybe I'm just going to step in it, but I found it really, really difficult to believe that Malcolm X would be a fan of Bob Dylan. I don't know why. I, it's just like, he's like, he's like, you know, your music is, you know, catering, this is like, he's like, listen to this. 
And then he's like, that guy, he's like, he's speaking to us. And I'm like, I don't know. If, I'm pretty sure that Bob Dylan didn't write that for black people. I, I highly doubt that. Um, and uh, I think at one point I did a little bit of research and stuff like that. And one of the, some other people were hung up on it too. They're, they're like, just so you know, there's no evidence at all that Malcolm X even had a Bob Dylan record. Um, but it's, I could see it being a part of the times and something in a way to take a touchstone that a lot of people are familiar with and um, further the conversation. So there's little things like that, that um, were strange for me. It was a little bit like Mank. Mank had a lot of things happening in it where it's like, that didn't happen at all. Or it's like the characters we portrayed a certain way and it's just like, they didn't behave like that at all. Um, just with a cursory, I, um, cursory study of Hollywood history and how people looked, how they behaved. Um, and also like how Citizen Kane was written. It wasn't written the way it was in the film, but man, it, it was a compelling film and was a, like a really big deal for a lot of people. So there's some overlap with that too. It is funny that sometimes you see a film and it, it, there's comparisons to it that I think um, blunted a little bit. And I think Mank and Marini's Black Bottom are pretty stiff competition with this one, but I'd still say it's definitely worth seeing and it's definitely a conversation piece. But once again, kind of returning to the apple tree thing, I really want audiences to think when you're watching this, this isn't what happened. Um, this is completely speculative. They might've just eaten, they did eat ice cream together. I did figure that out. They might've just sat and ate ice cream all night and uh, you know, were maybe just like rallying and saying, you know, Muhammad Ali is, well, Muhammad Ali wasn't even Muhammad Ali yet. He was still Cassius Clay, like maybe talking about rallying for that or maybe talk, maybe they were talking about their wives or kids or sports or, I mean, who knows? Um, but this is a definite, um, yeah, once again, it's it's a what if that is very, very interesting. So I'd say definitely check it out. As, as someone who uh, comes from a Muslim family myself, uh, I could say that uh, the scene where they're reciting the prayer, as you mentioned, was very, it, it, it was very surprising for me because I could tell that uh, these actors have uh, practiced and they have, you know, they, they, they they're doing it the right way. I mean, I, I, I couldn't see uh, any sort of, you know, uh, pretend, uh, I, I, I couldn't see them pretending or like faking it. It was clear that these people have practiced it from somewhere and that they're knowledgeable about it. So, um, I mean, I, I was very uh, uh, happy to see how uh, everyone was putting religion aside and not fighting over that. They were, they had different opinions, they were from different backgrounds, but all of them had like this one thing in common and all of them were just uh, trying to figure out a way to, you know, uh, combine their thoughts and their ideas. And that was what sort of led to the ending. And about the ending, I would like to say that uh, I really liked the music in this film. It was just really uh, great to listen to. And the way that the film ends with uh, uh, A Change Is Gonna Come, right? By Sam Cooke, right? I, I thought that was one of the best ways to you know, end a film like this uh, because it did lose its 
grip somewhere in the middle, but as soon as, you know, the third act begins and everything starts to wrap up, you can see how, you know, uh, the, the film is suddenly grabbing your attention. And while I was kind of, you know, bored and uh, like, oh, I was like, okay, I, I don't know what to expect, what's gonna happen next. But like in the last uh, 10 to 15 minutes, I was just staring at the screen and I was just, you know, surprised by how well the film wrapped up. I have a question for you. I know that the, yeah, there, you said there's a certain point where it becomes, it kind of drags. For me, the, when the film really started to like, there's one a scene in particular, well, I can't really say a scene because it kind of all flows together, but it's the scene where Malcolm X talks about Sam Cooke's performance in Boston. That monologue and then also cutting to what it was actually like, that's when it started turning around from like, now this is compelling because it does show that like they do, that Malcolm X does admire him. Um, because you just don't know where they stand at all after that argument. Um, you only can pick up context clues from the conversations they have with other people. But that was the point where it turned around for me. Was that where it got your attention again? Or was it another scene or monologue? I actually don't remember. I, I think there were so many monologues in this film. I don't even remember where to, you know, uh, what scene kind of, you know, grabbed my attention. I think it was probably uh, somewhere in the last hour where, uh, because there's so many scenes where they're in the room and then they go to the rooftop and they come back. They're like, there's, there's, I, I, I have to watch this film again to, you know, uh, confirm what that scene was, but it was somewhere in the end. Or maybe I was just kind of sleepy. Uh, so uh, that, that's why I was, you know, uh, like drowsy and I don't know. I was watching this film at like 3 a.m. in the morning. So maybe that's why. Oh, me too. But, me too. So we have that in common. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I agree with you on, on that. And I think what it is, is just like, this is a film that it reminded me a lot of watching a play. You get to a point where the dynamics it's and the just flow is so relentless to a point where you just want to break. It's not that it's ever like, I would never say this film's like boring or bad, like the screenplay is letting it down. It's just a film that it's so relentless. Like I just want a 10 minute intermission halfway through just to like re get, like get back in the mindset, get focusing again and just like get back into it. Again, I mean, the experience reminded me a lot of just watching a play because you get to a point where you, okay, you know, I'm ready for my intermission. It's not that it's bad ever, but there are times where it just, you know, you naturally just can't keep up with it for the entire runtime, it seems. And, and that's just, you know, one, you know, side effect of, you know, what the film is to a point. And I don't think it kills the film, but at least that's because I had a very similar reaction. I don't know if that was what happened with you, but I think that's what I would relate my experience to. Yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, like pause the film at certain points and, you know, write down stuff, what they're saying, so I could like use it in my review. But uh, my link was just, uh, it was just, uh, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't pause it, I couldn't rewind it, I couldn't uh, press forward. So, I mean, I was just kind of nervous that it was gonna, you know, <laughs> it was gonna expire or something because uh, the, the screening window was, um, was just, I, I don't know, it was, I, I was just nervous throughout the film and I had 
like all these thoughts coming in. I was trying to focus on what they were saying. Then I was looking at the time. Then I was looking at uh, the link, the you know, the loading thing. So I I wish I could have you know watched this film in a theater, or maybe I could have you know walked out and at one point, like like you said, I think there should have been an intermission. But that doesn't really matter because if you're watching it at home, then you can just pause it in the middle, right? But um, this film really did remind me of the play. But like you said, there were there were like uh, there were things that kind of showed how all of these people have uh, learned their dialogues by heart and that they can do this. They they might be able to do this in one take. I felt that that could have been possible. And before we go to recommendations, let's hear a word about our sponsor for this episode. So to wrap up Clappercast, we like to end on the crew's latest film recommendations. Can be a new film you saw or a film from old. I will start quickly. Uh, I don't think it's really worth fighting against the streaming service empire that's controlling our lives. We talked about three streaming service films uh, today, and I'll go ahead and recommend another on HBO Max, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. Uh, film from 2018 or 17, I forget which one. It's an anime film uh, from Masaki Yuasa, who is quite frankly, I think the most intriguing anime director um, working today. He is so like ingenious when it comes to how to use animation and how to push different narratives and thoughts. Um, it's about this girl who's just like walking around getting drunk with friends one night and she's just like going to all these bars and just kind of finding adventure and magic throughout her city. Um, it's an incredibly compelling piece of cinema, a uh, stunning animation. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before, which, you know, with Misaki Yuasa, you can say that about every single one of his projects. And it's not even like they feel like each other. They're all just so completely different. Um, they push the envelope. Uh, Wolf Walkers, I think, luckily exposed a lot of people this year to like, how foreign animation especially can really push the envelope when it comes to the genre. And I think Masaki Yuasa is a name that needs more attention. It's definitely adult, um, let's be very clear. Uh, but I think this is fantastic. And it's streaming on HBO Max now, at least in the US. Um, if you're not in the US, you know, find it for yourself. Um, but I would recommend you find it because it's quite good. Uh, Hillary, do you have a recommendation this week? Um, I do. Um, and you guys are probably going to laugh at both of them because they are totally the opposite of the three films we just talked about. Um, I recommend like a shortened feature um, back to back. Uh, and I want to say that I didn't discover these films myself. These are films that I was um, told to watch or watched with friends of mine who are dudes. Um, so the, <laughs> the short I'm recommending three minutes long, you can watch it on YouTube. Is called JCBD's Day Out, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's directed by his, <laughs> it's directed by his sons. And um, it just shows, I really don't want to spoil it. It just shows him going on a walk and uh, things happen. Um, and I think the only thing I will tell you to maybe get you to check this out a little bit more is that he kind of walks like Popeye in uh, the 1930s cartoons. So. There's that and then everything else that happens, which is absolutely absurd and of course violent. Um, and then for the feature, I saw a film last night. This is not cinematic history. This is not a masterpiece in any way, shape or form. I saw this film last night, a, friend, a guy friend of mine showed it to me, watched it virtually with um, some other people. I'd never heard of it. And every single scene I was just like, I can't believe what I've just seen. It's called Tracks. 
T-R-A-X-X. It stars a guy named Shadow Stevens. Shadow Stevens, okay, I'm making sure I got that right. It stars Shadow Stevens, who I believe is like a radio personality. That's what he's known for. But it's an action film about a guy who fights crime after like solving wars. Every single scene in this movie makes absolutely no sense. It's, inc it's not, um, I'd say there's a lot of violence in it, but it's not gory or anything. It's just this, it's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. I can't put it into words. I can't describe it. It is hard to find, but someone did upload it to YouTube. So all you have to do is type in tracks 1988. You can watch the whole thing and you won't be able to find the words for it. You might pee your pants though, because it's just that absurd. So those are my recommendations for this week. I will coolly point out for tracks, I'm on the letterbox page now. I want to point out in the logo, uh, it features an A shooting, uh, holding a gun at an X who's also a person. So that's like a good start. It looks absolutely iconic. Uh, Nabil, what's your recommendation for this week? Uh, a film that I've been recommending to a lot of people, which is actually not out yet. It comes out at the beginning of February. It's called Saint Maud. It, this is a film that has, it's like, I can't stop thinking about it. It's a horror film and it's produced by A24. So if you guys enjoy uh, A24 art house horror films like Hereditary and, you know, Midsummer or something like that. So I think you guys should check this out. It's about a woman who, after suffering a tragedy, she becomes obsessed with saving the soul of a dying woman. And it's basically this weird, crazy, like a mixture of religion and, you know, horror. And it's just, it's just a really eye-opening experience for uh, people who love horror. And I really wouldn't want to like give away anything else because you should go into this film completely blind. Don't watch the trailer. Don't even like read anything about this film. It comes out uh, on February 1st in the UK on VOD. And then it comes out, uh, it's getting a limited uh, theatrical release at the end of January in USA. So if you guys can check it out, uh, if you can, you guys should. And then it's going to come out on February 12th on, uh, at home. So I think you guys should definitely, I would uh, love to hear your thoughts on that. Finally, I've been waiting for that film for literally a year and a half because I missed that AFI Fest. Then it was supposed to be released to A24. COVID hit. And it got pushed back multiple times. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm very excited to finally uh, see it. Uh, that's going to be it for this week's episode of ClapperCast. Let's go around and say where we can fi uh, find these fantastic voices on the interweb. Uh, Hillary, where can we find you? What's your social media? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at um, Laudanum at 33. And you can also find reviews or various things I write at the Holy Shrine, which is the WordPress blog. It's probably easier to just go to my Letterboxd um, page and you can find a direct link for it there. Awesome. And Nabil, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Nabil on film, and I'm also on Letterboxd at M Nabil. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just the name Carson Tamar. You can also find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk. 
you can find our social links on Clapper at Facebook, Clapper LTD on Letterboxd, and at Clapper LTD on Twitter. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow us to be notified when the next episode releases every Wednesday. Also, I want to quickly point out this week is very exciting for us. Uh, Clapper's launching a brand new podcast this week. Our own Yakov Flaz is launching a podcast called Uncut Gems. Uh, the thesis of the show is it's looking at films lost to time and history that probably should be cult classics. This week, we're talking about 2000's Mission of Mars. Um, it's I recorded it yesterday. It's very, very fun. I believe the plan currently is for it to be released this Friday. So if you get a chance and you like, you know, small hidden gems, make sure to check that film out. Um, and thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. 